And they said, Some say John the Baptist, and others Elijah, but still others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not overpower it. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he warned the disciples that they should tell no one that he was the Christ. Let's pray. O great Lord God, we thank you that we can come from your word today to, to see what and how you have been sustaining your church throughout the ages. Lord, that we have been indeed confessing the faith that has been once for all delivered to the saints for almost 2,000 years. And Lord, we thank you for that. We thank you for your preserving spirit that he has, that he has come to teach us truth. And Lord, today we pray that uh, what is spoken, Lord, that it would edify, that you would keep me from error, and Lord, that it would be understandable and um, well articulated. Lord, I pray that we would be able to follow that those who came before us are also people that we should take great heed to. And Lord, how relevant it is directly to Scripture. Lord, prepare us as we, uh, as we hear this today uh, to go into worship with, uh, with an understanding and with, with, with uh, being cognizant of, of that, we, that we are confessing the faith. We are actually... Um, actually uh, descendants of uh, of the kingdom lord and god we thank you and praise you for that and lord uh help us to um to understand and lord to to hear uh, what's said in your name amen okay so uh why did i choose that verse well hopefully um as i go forward we'll kind of see and i gotta be honest with you um i was telling my wife on the way here yeah it's a uh, a little rough around the edges, given uh, the minimal time. So yeah, I'm going ahead and making an excuse. So don't don't expect uh, too much from me. But hopefully, uh, the Lord will be exalted nonetheless. But what I wanted to say in reference to this, or what what I wanted to to talk about, was I think one of the most important questions I think among Protestants, uh, Roman Catholics, and any sort of non-denominational entities. Is comes down really to the question of authority, right? So, authority. What, as we understand it, has the power, that ability to bind the human conscience to obedience? Uh, I mean, hopefully we're all thinking what the answer is by now, but what, as it were, demands our attention for all faith and practice? Okay, don't answer yet. I'm kind of being rhetorical at this point, but... Um, but, but the point is that's really the million dollar question and the difference between not just Roman Catholicism, Eastern Orthodoxy, and even within Protestant denominations, we could argue, right? It's like, how do we see this authority? Now, of course, I'm going to assume for the sake of not exhausting this point and because we're all sitting in the same Reformed Baptist church, um, 
that we're going to say the Bible, of course. Um, uh, so I'm going to just leave that there. Uh, but I want to propose a problem, as it were. It's not really a problem, but I'm going to propose it that way. Here's the proposed problem. The Holy Spirit didn't stop working after the Word was inscripturated, right? So after the writing of Scripture, hopefully we affirm that the Holy Spirit did not cease to work through His church. Correct? Everybody following me? Okay, good. That is, He still guides and protects His people through the ages so long as the church is on this earth to the end of days said nothing so far. I'm sure it's controversial. So that is what I'm particularly trying to hone in on here is history. Christ church in history has something to say and teach us. I don't think anyone would affirm, given what we just read, specifically if you look, and if you do still have your Bible still open, you can look at this. Um, given what we just said in verses 18 and 19, I don't think anyone would affirm that the gates of hell have indeed prevailed against the church, right? So we can affirm an historical continuity in the church. What I mean is this, and, and I, again, I won't be able to fully like flesh all this stuff out or answer, but I want us to all at least contemplate this before we leave here today. Um, as we go out um, after, after church today and into church. Um, the question is really, to what extent or degree, if at all, do extra-biblical sources, like those we see that appear in history, hold authority over the church? Okay? Now, maybe that seems like an obvious question that has an obvious answer, maybe not. Um, but hear me out here. Solo Scriptura. So this is the great Protestant reformational cry, right? Yes. Probably looks like I don't that they don't know what I'm talking about. Um, I gotta have interaction. It's it's, it's affirming. I'm sorry. Um, so 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 what does it mean though? What does it mean? What does soul scripture mean? Scripture alone. Yeah. So so by scripture alone, exactly. Yes, the Bible alone is God's supernatural revelation to us, to his people. There's no other source of divine truth in existence. This should be affirmed and practiced, amen? Amen. The great problem, and this is what I'm referring to here, the great problem, however, that has always faced the church is how. How do we distinguish truth from error through sola scriptura alone? And again, this question may seem essentially obvious with an obvious answer. Well, you know, Richard, uh, of course, uh, you just uh, you need to read your Bible. That's how we answer the question. And I would agree with that. Yeah, definitely. The Scripture does answer all these questions. But that's but but I'm asking, does sola Scripture mean exactly that? Um, now, I, I want to be clear here because I'm not attacking the legitimacy of Scripture or the definition of sola Scriptura. Okay. Um, I am a committed Reformed Baptist. Um, so I'm, I'm throwing some credentials out there. Uh, but what I mean is this. Anyone can hold this Bible up, right? They can hold this Bible up and claim it as their sole source of authority. Correct? Yes. 
The Bible is my creed. Anybody heard this before? You might know where I'm going with this? Okay. Uh, the Bible is my creed. So, so admittedly, I get it. That, that, sounds, that sounds initially godly, pious, and really, really good, doesn't it? It does to me, at least. Really, really good. So again, though, how does the church distinguish? Again, remember, anybody can hold this up and go, this is, this is my creed. This is what I use. I don't use any other source. Let me give you, I just want to give you a couple of examples of what I'm getting at. So if you'll like rewind with me, like try, try to, in your mind, I don't have any like pictures or handouts, but let's go back in history just a little bit. So the early fourth century, so 300s AD, 300s AD. So during this time, we're like, and imagine, hopefully you're good at geography, um, picking on my wife, she's not so much, um, but um, uh, so, so we're in, we're in uh, fourth Early 4th century Egypt in Alexandria, okay, Alexandria. And there's a bishop there. There's a bishop in Alexandria, and his name is um, uh, Alexander. Um, No, no, really, it is. Uh, So very uh, original. Anyway, um, so Alexander, Alexander's the bishop there. So he's over the church in, in, in Alexandria. And he has someone sort of under him, a presbyter, um, who, who's, who's, who's very, he's, he's, he's a good preacher. He's very articulate. Um, he apparently could sing really well, which uh, as I read, I'm going, okay, that's, that's kind of odd, but well, I, well, you would mention that. But the point is, is he had good rhetorical skills. He could be very persuasive. He could convey a message very well. Um, um, I, I would say that we have a lot of people in our, in our day like that as well, but, but this person was also very, very familiar with his Bible. He knew scripture very, very well. Can anybody guess what this man's name was? You can say it. I know someone knows. Arius? So Arius? Arian controversy? Am I speaking, am I speaking a foreign language here? Okay. So Arius. The problem was is that though he was a great speaker, talented, and knew his Bible very well, he taught a particular doctrine that went against established orthodoxy. Um, that particular doctrine was basically that Christ was a created being. That the saying goes, and he would say, you know, that there would be people along the, the Alexandrian ports and stuff like that that, w- that would be singing... Uh, sort of his, 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 his short little preachings and stuff like that. They would sing things like, you know, there was a time when the sun was not, and it would catch on. See, I mean, you can see how, how music and stuff like that would be. Okay, I'm, not gonna, I'm, I'm getting sidetracked. But the point is, is, that, um, is, that, is that he was teaching something that he believed came directly from the Scripture. And when brought to task on it, the Orthodox side versus his side... He insisted, as, as, as many do, that only biblical language could be used and say, well, they would say, well, prove this from Scripture. And he would take his Bible out, or what they had of the day, and, um, and show that. The problem is, though, what? Interpretation. Right? Interpretation. So, I'll give you another example. Give you another example. So let's fast forward to like, 
the mid to late 19th century, so 1800s. Uh, there was a lot of religious confusion during this time, so you have a lot of cults pop up during this time, Mormonism, things like that. Um, and there was a group of a group of people who who said, you know, this this time, this time, like we're living in a day where people don't really know. We're they're confused. Let's just let's disregard all this uh, historical interpretation. And let's study the Bible for ourselves. Let's get together, study the Bible for ourselves, and uh, let's, uh, let's see what we find. Let's come to some conclusions. Let's, let's have the unadulterated Word of God without influence. Okay. So that's what they did. Um, uh, and and it sound, it, it's, it's commendable. It sounds, it sounds good. Here's what they did. They, they did come to conclusions, and they started publishing these conclusions. And what was called at that time the... Um, uh, the Studies in the Scriptures was a journal. Studies in the Scriptures. Um, today, this group is actually still around. And the name of this group is the Watchtower Bible and Tract Society. So, the Jehovah's Witnesses. The Jehovah's Witnesses. Um, there are many more examples of this. Um, but I would say this. I hope this doesn't offend too much. But I'm going to say it anyway. Um, the most ardent supporters of the Bible alone is my creed. And notice I add that last part. My creed are usually and almost certainly heterodox or just outright heretics. Almost always. The mere, what I'm saying is the mere appeal to scripture does not guarantee right interpretation, does it? Have I, has that been shown? I think so. I think. I mean, I think history can attest to it. This doesn't deny the meaning of sola scriptura, that scripture is the sole source of divine revelation and sufficient for all doctrine and practice for the Christian and the church. Yes. Yes. Yet they will make the same claim as us. They'll make the same claim as us. That is... It is solely authoritative, that the Word of God is solely authoritative. Anybody ever had Jehovah's Witnesses come to your door? They, they will tell you outright, usually, that we're Christians and we use only the Bible. Like, well, that's great, but why is all your doctrine wrong? I mean, I know I'm kind of assuming my own position there, but why, why, why is it different? So, indeed, the Arians as we talked about, consistently appealed to Scripture to prove their heresies. They consistently appealed to Scripture to prove their heresies, and indeed the Jehovah's Witnesses consistently appealed to the same Word of God to come to their erroneous conclusions. But, but here's where I think we begin to answer the question of, like, well, how do we distinguish? How do we distinguish as the church? What they did not appeal to and what they almost always certainly reject is established apostolic interpretation of the Scripture. It's established apostolic interpretation of the Scripture, which we would call, this is probably a bad word in our circles, but I hope it's not, tradition. Tradition. And let me clarify. I'm not talking about a dual source of divine revelation of, as Roman Catholics would, like uh, a source of tradition that informs us of what the Word of God says versus the tradition that comes from the Word of God, if that makes any sense. Okay? So what I'm saying is, anytime you interpret the Scriptures, tradition follows. 
that make sense? Okay. I'm saying that the interpretive tradition that the church maintains were truths such as the divinity of Christ, the triunity of God, and salvation by grace through faith alone in Christ alone is maintained. I'm saying that our position assumes not just the words on the pages of your Bibles that are sitting before you right now, but that deposit of faith, the content in the Bible, goes beyond that. The content once for all delivered to the saints. The content that was actually and really delivered to the saints, interpreted rightly across time, and carried and transmitted through history faithfully. Should we read Matthew 15 again? I mean, Matthew 16. Making the connection, hopefully. Okay, good. I'm going to take that as a yes. So, um, what am I saying all this for? It's like, well, that's, that's great, Richard. Why, why are you telling us this? Um, what's my point? What's your, what's your plug here? What are you trying to get across? My point is, this is why creeds, this is why confessions of faith are necessary to confess the faith rightly. This is why they're necessary. So hear me out. Hear me out. Creeds and confessions, and I am sweating up here. I'm sorry, and it's not because I'm nervous. Um, creeds and confessions are, as historic theological documents, exegetical of Scripture. They're exegetical of Scripture. Of course, I don't mean every single one. I'm saying, of course, the right ones. <laughs> I'm sorry, I can't go beyond that to prove it, but um, that would require more lessons. Uh, the words on the pages of your Bible signify something, right? They're not just words. That is, they aren't just that. They signify meaning, concept, and thus they demand interpretation. That's the question. The assumption is that we, as the church, are actually able to interpret those words rightly. We're actually able to interpret those words rightly. What's the promise again Christ made to his church in Matthew 16? It follows. It follows from that. Does this, is, does this, give, you, does this give you hope? Does this give you like um, tingles? I don't know. For me it does. It's, it's, it, it just shows that, that, that the Bible, this is off the cuff here. Sorry, I don't have this written down. So if I say something idiotic, just forget it. Um, but it shows that the Word of God, this is part of, I think, which shows that the Word of God is actually living. And that it has bearing on all of time and all of history. Unfortunately... We, I think, live in an anti-credal and anti-confessional culture. Would anybody agree with that? I say this is because we live in a day where the church is, I think, too naturally suspicious of any document that would claim to hold a right interpretation of Scripture outside of the reading of Scripture itself. Okay? Okay. Um, well, let me say this, and I, I think this goes along with some of the points that I was making. Um, 
it's just as a side note, I think one of the reasons for this, personally, is that um, uh, we're Americans. Um, we're pretty individualistic. We, we see the church sometimes as us composing the church instead of a unified body. Like, we see ourselves just, okay, sort of apart from the church, and we come here, if I can say it that way. Um, but uh, I don't think people in history thought as much that way. Um, and I think, uh, I think that's part of the problem. Anyway, side note, that's for free. Um, but but, but, here, but here's, here's some of my points about, about approaching creeds and confessions with just inherent skepticism, um, which we do. Uh, so, 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 so I wanted to give... I wanted to give sort of, I think, three very modern, very, very modern presuppositions um, on why I think people approach creeds and confessions, written documents and history uh, with, with suspicion. Okay? So I'm going to give you three of them and um, pretty much end our time after that. Um, and here they are. So, so, here, so, so assumption number one. And the, and the first assumption, and again, this all comes out of what I was saying before. The first assumption is that history doesn't or can't somehow reliably convey biblical truth about the faith. Okay, so in other words, the assumption is that history doesn't actually have that much to teach us um, because we live like in a different cultural context or, or a different time period or because of the simple reason that it's not scripture. Okay? Again, I would simply point to Matthew 16. It's like, look at Matthew 16, though. What does Jesus say? The assumption is that, no, that's not true. The second assumption, I would say, is why people, I think, approach uh, uh, creedal and confessional documents with inherent skepticism is that language, grammar, syntax, all the words... um, cannot reliably communicate biblical truth across time and geographical space. Or, perhaps more importantly, and we see this, I think, a lot now, it must be subjected to redefinition according to the spirit of our age instead of what the author's intent was. Instead of asking the question, well, what did they mean? Okay. I I think... It's presumptuous at best to say this, um, and the saying goes, or as the saying goes, you know, sort of, if only they knew then what we know now, right? It's like we have this attitude of, like, well, you know, we've come to a better understanding. We have more resources. You know, we 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 know better. Um, again, my rebuttal would be Matthew sixteen. Um, Matthew 16. Here's the third assumption. That inherently, there's an, that, that, that there's not currently in existence a definitive authoritative body that can compose, interpret, and enforce such creeds and confessions. That's the assumption, I think. Which is what? What's this authoritative body? You were saying something. The church. Yeah, exactly. 
So with these things said, I would propose that if, if we hold, if we were to hold to the presuppositions above, we're not only undermining, you know, and I hope you're following me here. We, we're, we're not only undermining the express words of Christ, I think, in Matthew 16, but as it follows, we show our inherent disbelief and mistrust and not just the church's capability, not just the church's capability to teach biblical truth, but also in the body of scripture as well, really. No, I, and let me be clear. I don't. I don't think that. I don't think a lot of us. Uh, you know, I, I don't think a lot of people do this purposefully. Um, I wanted to add that. I don't think we do it purposefully, but I, I, I think that has to do with our thinking. So, essentially, what I'm saying is like by approaching creeds and confessions with an underlying skepticism and almost hostility. Sometimes we not only show our mistrust in the scriptures themselves, that is, their ability to actually be able to convey the faith. But at the same time, we elevate the authority of the individual and his private interpretations above Scripture itself. Everybody follow me on that? I mean, that's... So what I'm not saying is this. I'm not saying... And uh, I was thinking about this. I didn't have time to pass it by my my counselor. Um, But what I'm trying to say is this, um, so that I'm understandable. Um, What I'm trying to say is that... um, I'm not saying that we shouldn't go home and do Bible studies or study the scriptures, pray, all those other things. No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that, um, but we should be reflective of history. And we come to a conclusion about a particular doctrine or issue. Um, I think we should be reflective upon history. I think that's extremely wise to do. God did not give us 2,000 years of the church for no reason. So... It's sometimes then as if we're saying others didn't really get it right before we arrived on the scene and I'm kind of on my own personal determiner of truth and sort of standing judgment over the scriptures. You see what I'm saying? I would go further to even say that without confessions and creeds, it's actually impossible. And I think this is where the rubber meets the road here. So I hope you're following me. It's actually impossible to know what sola scriptura actually means in that scripture actually leads us to confess the faith, right? We don't just stop at reading the Bible and go, okay, that's it. Or if somebody asks you what the gospel is, you turn to a particular passage or passages and just read it to them. No, we articulate it in intelligible words and basically paraphrase it, um, for lack of a better way of saying it. Um, Scripture actually leads us to confess the faith in which we have written documents like our own church's confession. We have a church constitution as well. This is a good thing. Notice I didn't say it the other way around, so I want to be clear about that. That creeds and confessions in themselves lead us to sola scriptura. No. No. They're not infallible human documents. That would lead us to the claim that tradition itself is authoritative, which is what we're not saying. No. That's Roman Catholicism. What we are saying is that tradition is authoritative because Holy Scripture is authoritative and that one is an authoritative exposition of the other. You'll hear preaching today, right? Is that preaching authoritative? Yeah. It's an exposition of Scripture. 
I'm trying to make the argument that we have the same form in creeds and confessions as well. In other words, we're saying that there is really and truly only one source of authority, the Word of God, and that source of authority demands that we interpret and confess it, all of it. The reality is that, and this is how our conceptions and whether we're able to detect error or not, um, and how we're reformed, the reality is that all propositions, words, terminology, all those things, they assume a meaning in Scripture prior to us actually coming to it. So it means something outside of before I approach it. So the task of proper interpretation of Scripture then answers to the difference between my conception of the thing and the reality of the thing. If the former and the latter don't match, then there's a problem with the former, me, not the latter. Okay. This, is, this, is, this is how Scripture actually reforms. This is how Scripture is actually the, the norming norm of our confessions of faith. Our thoughts, and thus our method, our interpretive lens. Sola Scriptura is the claim that we are continually confessing, I stress confessing, um, the body of faith and the doctrine once for all delivered to the saints, and that we confess, and that what we confess it's the truth of Scripture in historic forms of interpretation. That is, in preaching, in teaching, and in creeds and confessions. Right? So I'll, I'll, I'll end with this. I actually went longer than I thought I would, which is wonderful. I'm you know, proud of myself, I guess, there. You know. Scripture itself tells us that God has given us the gift of the church. He's given us the gift of the church and its people to build us up in the faith and to protect us from error. That we are to listen to those who have come even before us and confess the faith in word and in writing. So if somebody will, and, 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 and I'll end with this, if somebody will uh, turn to Ephesians four eleven through 14 and read for me. I would be most grateful. Yeah, 14. So that you may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human kind, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Amen. So, basically, God has in His Word told us that He has given us the gift of the church to help us confess the faith. And that claims, I think, that the Bible only is my creed, which is ironically still a creed, um, it's just not a very good one, uh, is unwarranted. And we should thus be very clear about what we confess. Um, so you might have any questions.
That's all I have. I could go on, but I only have one day, so please questions. Okay. Jeremy, you pray for us. Yeah.